Hey, and welcome into episode 64 of the House of L podcast. I am your host, Lawrence Holmes. I'm glad that you're here, that you're sticking around, that hopefully you're getting used to the schedule of a House of L podcast dropping every two weeks because I'm being asked to do podcasts every day for Radio.com, but I still like doing House of L. And actually, that kind of brings me to today's episode. So as I am was putting together a lot of the podcasts for Radio.com, Loho Daily, by the way, you can subscribe to that. You can check it out. I do stuff that I probably won't do on the score. So the way that I've been explaining it is House of L is about journalism, and my Loho Daily podcast is more about sports. And there was a Venn diagram that was kind of interesting with our guests on today's episode. I was sitting there going, I wanted to spend more time learning more about gaming and gaming culture. And I thought that it would be really good for Loho Daily. So Julie DeCaro actually put me in touch with someone. This was months ago that she was like, you know, I met Keisha Howard. You should interview her. And I said, okay. So we were trying to figure out, you know, in what context I would interview her. And I thought the Daily Podcast actually made the most sense. So I brought her into the SCORE studios and she blew me away. And I'm sitting there as we're talking, and I'm going, I actually think this might be more House of L than it is Loho Daily. So I made the editorial decision to make that, make our conversation part of House of L. And I I think it's the right decision. This is a really impressive woman. And when you hear her talk about gaming culture and how, a black woman from the South side finds themselves as one of the biggest influencers in gaming culture. I think that you'll be impressed. She is played games with Hannibal Burris. She has created this really interesting space for gamers who kind of fit outside the stereotype of what a gamer is. And as I'm sitting there, you'll probably be able to hear my awe when talking to her, we were sitting there and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I always tell people that I'll take a picture or I might have video so that I can promote it. And she said, Oh, I took a picture of myself and I sent it to you. And if you look at the thumbnail for this episode, that's the picture that she sent me and it's dope and it's futuristic and it's crazy. So, I'm so happy that you're going to get a chance to hear this in House of L format, which I, I've now figured out is probably more longer than Loho Daily. I was doing a little bit too much with Loho Daily early on, and now I think I've kind of found a rhythm with it being shorter and a little bit more snappy. So sit back and enjoy. This woman is pretty incredible. Her name is Keisha Howard. She is my guest And if you're a gamer, you probably already know. But if you don't know, now you know. Here's me and Keisha Howard. All right. First things first. When did you start gaming? Oh, Jesus. Um, I started gaming as soon as my oldest brother got a Game Boy. So that would be me at 9 or 10 years old. Do you remember the first game that you played? 
No, not quite. But I do remember some of the first games that I played. What did you like? I liked playing Super Mario Brothers on Super Nintendo. Me too. Yeah. So um, Tetris, I used to think that it was the hardest game. Now they have rebooted Tetris on Nintendo Switch, Tetris 99. And I'm addicted to Tetris, but I don't remember liking it as much. But it was one of my favorite first games, too. Um, Final Fantasy 2 on Super Nintendo. Played that at least a good solid ten times. Um, Street Fighter. Street Fighter, for sure. Who was your character? Chun-Li. Went with Chun-Li. Huh. I didn't want to assume. Yeah, Chun-Li. Like, I didn't have a lot of <laughs> lot to choose from. And, you know, I was just happy to see a female with thick thighs in a video game. I'm just like, <laughs> okay. So I was like, I take what I could get as far as, like, representation goes. I've heard you talk about that in the TED Talk where you were talking about the the importance of representation in the gaming world. Why do you think it's so valuable? Um, So, you know, there's so much different type of media that we consume. Um, you know, movies, video games, books. And one of the cool things about these... Um, these these things that we consume is that it allows us to escape our everyday lives. It allows us to be motivated by, you know, different ideas, use our imagination. But if our if we can't use our imagination to think of the variety and the flavors of different people, <laughs> like you know, like there there's opportunities that's being missed out on. Like uh, you know, I, I wanna save the world. I want to, like, be a badass and kill all the aliens, too, you know? Like, I'm sure Chad has more than enough time, <laughs> you know, being a white guy with a scruffy face, saving the world. But uh, whenever I was younger and I saw a woman or a person of color in a heroic position, it really inspired me. And I just never forgot that feeling. So when I first saw Tomb Raider, for example, that was, like, one of the first games that I played with a female protagonist and she was a little brown too i was like all right like and she was like just such a badass just such a lone wolf as exploring caves being super intelligent um like yeah you know the beginning games for tomb raider got a lot of flack for her over sexualized appearance but like her character what she did in the game just meant so much to me um when i was younger I think that there is some value to it, and you're right about how oftentimes, like I remember, I remember when I found out when I finally finished Metroid, mm-hmm. and finding out that Samus is a woman. Blew your mind. Didn't it, it? it absolutely <laughs> blew my mind, and I think I it blew. Like, yes. But the thing is, is like I wasn't like I can't believe that I played this. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like that was a nice swerve that I wasn't expecting from the people who made the game and i can't imagine that had i known that she was the character that i would have i would have enjoyed it less like i i can't imagine that that would have been the case and but i know there are some people who do feel that way which is ridiculous to me it's absolutely astounding because you know there's so like we we have the drudgery of like our everyday lives 
going to school, going to work, paying bills. Like, how often do you get to be anything other than what you are, except for within your imagination, except for speculative fiction and, you know, movies and games and things of that nature? So, like, I would think that people would want to take the opportunity to, like, sort of explore a character that is is different or, you know... That, that that's just not quite like I, I we do it all the time like uh, I, there are many of the games that are my favorite games star a male white protagonist and that's not me but I still have fun playing that character in existing in a space like oh man I'm I'm a you know cool dude saving the world um so it's like weird that it doesn't work for other people that way because it's always <laughs> it's had to work for me that way for so long when was the point where you figured out, like, this isn't just something to keep me occupied during the day. Like, this is my thing. Because we all we all have, like, that, like, light bulb go off. And you're like, oh, I it's more than just I like this. Like, I love this. So when was that moment for you? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I'd have to say when I realized that I was going to be a nerd for the rest of my life. And there was just, like, no point in trying to fit in. So, like, I realized what I loved when I was pretty young. And I was like, this is me. This is who I am. Um, Now, that happened, I would say, by the time I was 12. It took me until I was about 25 to think, to believe that I could ever have a career in this space. Like, I could never see myself actually working in this space. Now, me identifying as a gamer, as a geek, you know, admitting to, like, reading Dragonlance novels and, you know, playing playing RPGs and that sort of thing, that was pretty much a part of my identity uh, immediately uh, upon playing video games. Like, I'd say it took me a, a good couple of 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 completed games and I'm just like I'm going to be a gamer forever. <laughs> so I'm going to be a fantasy novel reader forever. I'm going to these are the things that I enjoy. But again, the the idea that I could work in this space, I could create in this space never occurred to me. That would take two more decades. <laughs> I was watching your TED Talk and I was enjoying some of the stuff that you had to say about the Venn diagram of geek, where our geek crosses over, like the, the, the concentric circle for us is probably video games. But my geek also includes, it includes wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes comic books and comic book movies. And I noticed that, that you were quoted in a story saying, I've seen enough Batman movies. Like, I I have a lot of that. I think that that's a really interesting thing, how people think that there's this this kind of monolith in the geek community, and it couldn't be any farther from the truth. Oh, my God. I mean, the reason that this space is so compelling to me is because it's different. Like, that's where I can find my different ideas, like— you know, while everyone was watching Saved by the Bell, everyone was watching Saved by the Bell, so I wasn't missing out on anything. So um, the different, you know, things I would consume as a kid, it was just different. It was fresh to me. 
So, like, now that I'm in my 30s and it's just like, all right, I'm okay. And then <laughs> and then I'll see some article, and now black man, uh, Batman is going to be a black guy. And I was like, <laughs> I get it, but come on, guys. <laughs> like, we can't. This, like, Batman is, like, literally 60 years old now, if not older. Like, we can't create a new IP. Like, seriously. Um, that's probably my biggest issue with geek culture now is that it's pop culture. So the idea of it being like countercultural, right? It's just not. So I'm still into new ideas, you know, things that kind of go against the grain. That's not necessarily popular, not because I'm a contrarian, but because I'm always looking to learn and I'm very curious. So just, incrementally improving or changing something that has existed forever is just i get bored of it i know as a geek i'm supposed to just love it like ah just eat it up now batman is going to be a woman now batman is going to be a a bat like i don't freaking know but it's it's now thor is going to be a chick and i'm just like okay but y'all not y'all don't have no writers to like just write a new thing like this Anything now. (laughs) Have you ever gone to C2E2? Absolutely. We've had booths there. With Sugar Gamers? Mm Mm-hmm. I I found it to be, uh, I think it was the first time that I realized that I might have some sort of social anxiety. Hmm. Because, you know, I do radio, I do television, I'm in public, but I'm supposed to be with, these are all my people, right? This is geek culture. I'm a geek, and and I've felt overwhelmed. And so it that that episode happened say four it was four years ago and I haven't been back. Huh. And and it's you know, I have a lot of friends that go and that they do stuff and and I I do enjoy interacting with them, but it's too much. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that is commonly misconstrued about geeks and gamers is that there's this cookie cutter approach to what we all like uh this community is like one of the most complex demographics of individuals that exist uh all of us are are just majorly different we geek out about different things for different reasons and it, it, it you have to become a little bit more involved so like, C2E2 is, like, a place where, like, everybody's supposed to enjoy everything, um, but that's just not the case. Like, I am I consider myself introverted. A lot of people <laughs> would disagree with me because they see me out and talking all the time, but I actually don't really like huge crowds. And with the age of the Internet, I can just look, <laughs> look online for everything that I, I really am interested in. I... Um, you know, as more of these conventions become popular around the country, it becomes the same after a while. You're gonna see like ten thousand women dressed up as Harley Quinn and yes. a whole bunch of people dressed up as Spider Man and uh, you know, um Star Wars characters and so on and so forth. And that's great. But like again, my geek is also a very curious geek. I'm always looking for that new thing and it's very hard to sift through those huge monolithic booths of marvel and dc and you know all the people that are selling those uh ips um and find something that's really fresh and special and new and inventive and progressive so i like going to artist alley 
But even then, there's so many artists. <laughs> and it's great. And I, I love seeing it. Um, but, you know, it's a little calmer for me to, like, sort of go through that uh, online <laughs> slowly. No, I, I completely understand where you're coming. And, by the way, Artist Alley is where I usually found some piece. I don't know why, but I always found it to be that the kind of the eye of the hurricane mm-hmm. where it really became about the art instead of about the celebration. Right. If that makes any sense. Yes, it does. I mean, I would say like 10 years ago, uh, right when this like engine really started going, it was so awesome to, you know, talk about comic-con oh man you know going to san diego comic-con was the thing or going to e3 oh my god you went to e3 like that's the the pinnacle of like that's nerd mecca that's gaming mecca um but now it's so much of it and it is overwhelming and there's no way you get away from it because even when you do turn on your tv it's at least four marvel superhero movies about to come out like you you can't get away from it and again that sort of has shifted how we engage with geek culture, with game culture, because it's it's now popular culture. Everyone is a geek and gamer, and that's, you know, a, a different feel from, like, hey, you know, I just got my, like, three friends over here that I played Dungeons & Dragons with in the dark, you know? Um, now everyone, every you know, like, I can't go to a place and, like, hey, you got a Nintendo Switch? I have a Nintendo Switch. Want to play Smash? And I'm like, okay, that's you got way more. I don't even have Smash. Is that something I should be ashamed of? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, but uh, it's 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 a real thing. It's a real shift, and I, I don't think that everyone is going to engage with that shift the same. Like, I, I definitely haven't. I'm still just again on the search for something fresh, but that's still, you know, I guess, you know, supernatural or superheroic or you know, science fiction or cyberpunk. Like, I love all those genres of, of of stories. So, yeah, I'm still searching for something new. I know Batman already. You ready for the next? Whatever that is. Okay, that's fair. I Even as someone who's a comic book geek, I completely understand that. Growing up in Inglewood, in and for people who live outside of Chicago, they'll go, oh, that's one of the toughest neighborhoods in the country. How did your geek play growing up in Inglewood? Um, in the house, <laughs> not outside, uh, for sure. Um, I, I grew up between Inglewood and uh, Brainerd, um, but no one really knows where that is. So <laughs> it was like Chatham area. Uh, either way, uh, it's like, you know, as, as far as safety goes, I was raised with my grandmother, and she always wanted to make sure that, you know, I was – out of harm's way so it was better to be in the house playing video games or reading books than just being outside in them streets as my grandma would probably say like get out them streets so my curfew was like five o'clock in the afternoon I got to come home straight after school and just be home and you know and then on top of which I was a geek so south side black girl geek like I wasn't gonna have any friends so <laughs> it wasn't nothing else for me to do besides hang out with my older brother and play video games with him. So he was like my best friend growing up. How did he introduce you to video games or did you introduce him? Oh, no, he definitely introduced me because like who else was there in the house to beat at Street Fighter? So <laughs> like, 
You know, I was the person that he was able to play games with. Um, he probably would prefer other people, but <laughs> I was that person. So, um, you know, at first, like, I, I didn't necessarily enjoy it as much, but it was, like, the only thing there was to do, you know, like I said, not having any friends, growing up, you know, sort of introverted, not going outside. So it's like, all right, well, I guess I have to play with my older brother. Um, and it was our way of bonding. And then after I, uh, he was gone for a weekend somewhere, and I really got to practice Street Fighter. And um, I will always use Chun-Li, but this time I practiced with Vega, and he came home, and I beat his ass. <laughs> and that feeling after, you know, months and months and months of, like, always losing every single Street Fighter fight, and that feeling of like, yes, I am now good enough to beat my older brother. It just never left that 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 spirit of competition, that spirit of like improvement and 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 winning. Like it never just left me. So like that has like driven my love of games and competitive gaming, uh, you know, forever. So it's like, oh, I I could beat my older brother. Let's see who else I can beat. I started stealing his systems and taking them to uh, the high school I went to when I got a little older. So I would always, like, take my Dreamcast to school and challenge people at Soul Calibur. It was great. I was a nerd. (laughs) Some of this stuff I'm going to need you to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. Okay. okay? Because, like, as I explained to you before we started recording— I'm an 8-bit guy. Okay. So you talk to me about Street Fighter, I'm I'm there with you. Almost. It, it's it's like <laughs> I would say probably after once we see a prevalence of first-person shooter games is where I kind of fade out of the picture as a gamer. Like my most updated system is a PS3. I'm going to need you to to change that. <laughs> I'm going to need you to get your life together. Well, look, I I, I, I do love my retro games, and I, I have my little handheld NES and, and Super NES, and I love those, and I, had, and I hacked my Super NES, so there's 300 games on it. So I love that. Like, that makes me happy. But someone introduced me to Fortnite, and I was like, what's going Like, my guy is just like, running into stuff, and I don't know what's going on. So I do feel a little bit disconnected from from video game culture. That being said, I recognize that it has become beyond my wildest dreams of when I was 12 years old playing Super Mario Brothers. And I'm sure you did this too. Like, okay, I've beaten the game. Now it's a matter of how fast can I beat the game? (laughs) How few points can I beat the game with? Like, I did all that stuff, but now I do feel like I'm kind of on the outside looking in. So I don't, I don't want you to give me the whole history of video games. I just w- would love to get your opinion on why you think there's been this explosion in the popularity of it. Money. Um, <laughs> That's fair. I mean, basically, uh, now that, like, back when, you know, you were playing games or probably arcades and correct there are couch co-ops so you you had to stick two controllers into your console or be at an arcade and there was something very uh tactile and tangible about playing a game against someone um and it required a lot more effort like that person had to be in the same place you were in um 
esports, uh, you know, a lot of times when people talk about this this point of gaming, it's all about esports. And uh, I believe that people don't realize that esports is only 8% of what the video game is less than 8% of what the video game industry is. So you as an 8-bit gamer, there's still plenty um, of people that are that would go within that demographic. Uh, esports is a prevalent conversation because so much money is going into it. Uh, it's an amazing marketing platform because it's on the internet. So now you can get all these people together playing in one place digitally online. And that has like created a completely different phenomenon of gaming. Like online gaming is just different from, you know, the gaming of yesteryear. It it, it gives you more options to 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 play with with individuals around the world of all types of personalities, all types of skill levels. And um, it, it's it's a super interesting sort of concept. Uh, those aren't my my favorite type of games. Like if I were to play esports, it would definitely be fighting games, or I would be part of the FGC, the fighting game community. Um, they're like I would say the simplest, not some of the simplest of uh, of competitive games to pick up. But there are FPS, which which gets you know super <laughs> super complicated. Um, there's Battle Royale, there's uh, racing, there's your traditional sports too. There's there's so many genres of competitive gaming and that you can play online. So then you add all of the sponsors into it and then um, it, it, it changes the the way we play because now it's not just about fun, it's not just about camaraderie, it's not just about competition, but it's about your career. And if you're you know under the age of 25, to have the option to have a career in video games, again, it shifts the conversation drastically because now there's opportunity in that space. Those hours that you spent playing just for fun, now you can play to get good, to get sponsorship, to to travel. And, um, you know, that is beyond my my wildest dreams, but I'm, I'm happy to see it. So, I mean, there's, there's just... I would say that the online gaming component is what has changed gaming the most. Um, otherwise, you know, there's still all the genres of gaming. There's still mobile gaming that you'd probably be into if you're like a, a retro gamer. Oh, man. Indie games are really amazing right now that are very reminiscent of retro games. Um, so you definitely need to upgrade to a Nintendo Switch if, okay. I, if I do say so myself. But... Um, so many. Di- I I personally, my favorite gaming type is immersive sims. Most people don't know what that is, but can you um, please explain that? Because I have <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. Um, immersive sims are narrative driven games. So those are the games that you you simulate an actual character and uh, all the decision making that you can do in in that game. So like most games are pretty linear. You learn how to play, and there's not a lot of variety in how you complete the game. Immersive Sims, there's about five to six ways to solve any problem, at least. So a a great example of this is Deus Ex, Dishonored, Hitman. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those games, but you're a character, and say you have a problem, you have to get into a building. So like in a traditional game, you shoot up all the people, (laughs) <laughs> and then you get into the to a building. Um, well, in, in Immersive Sim, you can use stealth. 
You can use other tactics like speaking to people around the building and seeing if someone can give you a clue or a key. You can go through the roof. You can go through the sewer. You can you can kill everybody if you want to, or you can put everyone to sleep if you have enough ammo. You can sneak into it. Maybe if somebody doesn't see you, you know, and, and, and that is more – that's more real – that. That's where the the simulator comes in because that's how a human would probably go about problem solving and critical thinking. Uh, so I feel um, I feel mentally stimulated when I play immersive sims. So even if they have like a first person shooter component or a shooting component, like it's it's I have so much uh, control in the narrative that it makes it a very compelling experience, like Mass Effect. Uh, I guess that would be more so RPG, but Mass Effect is, you know, similar to an immersive sim as well. Um, you have so many decisions that you have to make for, you know, the game, and it, it changes how the game is going to play out, like what ending you get and so on and so forth. So it's 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 a really um, compelling, you know, I would say genre of games for me because it, it, it has everything that you would want in a game, but you are also playing by yourself most of the time. So, like, you still get that, you know, that alone time mm-hmm. with your game if you are, if you like just playing a game through by yourself. Uh, a lot of the games that, ha- that that cost equal amounts of money to make, they're going to be online. So you're, you almost are forced to play with other people online. And that's, that for me isn't always as fun. Why not? It's distracting. Um... I, you know, came up in, you know, like uh, during pre-Gamergate. So being online as a woman, uh, as soon as they hear your voice, it's just going to be some BS. And it's just like, oh, God, it's a lot better now. So I don't want to, like, you know, harp on the dark ages. Uh, I mean, still bad, but it's a lot better now. So so the community is it, – it wasn't always a great place to to be – for someone who's different, I I don't know. Like like I said, gaming gamers, especially, are one of the most complex demographics of individuals. So you can find your your people within that space, but you also, you know, just like most other spaces, there's going to be that 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 group of people that are highly toxic and have a, a very strict ideas about what. A gamer is or what the gaming space should look like and those people typically you know now that we're online are are you know emboldened by um the an what's the word anonymity there you go they're emboldened by that and um it sucks so like yeah you can easily find people that are for you and it's great but you also run into the people that are you know against you and that sucks. So you just, you know, kind of have to take the bat with the good. It's not, you can't look at the gaming space and just be like, oh, you know, it's all these toxic people here. That's not true. Um, and over time, as gaming has gotten more popular, it's, it's, it's getting better. It's more regulated. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because you break a lot of stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the... the the image of a gamer is not a young black woman from the south side of Chicago. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's still not. Um, 
I'm I'm happy to see more black women in this space, but it's not when it comes to the gaming space and the gaming industry. It's not just the sexism and misogyny uh, for women, and it's not just racism, but it's also it's also socialization. So you know, like my white counterparts, they have narratives and stories like, oh yeah, you know, my dad bought me a computer to learn how to code. And I started making my own video games when I was 15 years old. And I'm just like, wow, um, that's amazing to like have parents that are knowledgeable about the space and understand that video games are also STEM. It takes, you know, a lot of intelligence and a lot of uh, different, different talents to create a game. Um, it's very difficult. It's one of the most challenging things to do. It's just like if you're sitting here and you're just like, you know what? I'm going to create a Marvel movie. <laughs> like, it's not easy in that endeavor, to pursue that endeavor, to be encouraged to pursue that endeavor is is huge. Um, and, and the community I'm from, it's not so much that my grandmother didn't want me to play video games or didn't want me to work in video games. She didn't know. So she didn't know to be able to even have a conversation with me like, hey, you know that thing that you're really interested in? You can actually have a career in that. She didn't see any representation. You know, Oprah didn't say she was a gamer. You know what I'm saying? So if I was playing a game too long, get off that game. You're playing it too long. You know, because gaming for a lot of different demographics of people uh, for a long time only represented entertainment. It didn't represent anything that had intellectual merits. It didn't represent anything that uh, if you learned how to, work within the gaming space that will have overlapping, you know, sort of applications in other areas. I mean, gamification in and of itself um, is used in almost every app that's on our phone because, like, how else would we keep on coming back to it if we didn't get points or awarded or move up or, or, or have some incentive to, to, to use it? Like, gamification is all around us, so even if you don't self-identify as a gamer – you're still gaming. Like even social media is gaming. You know, it has so many elements of gamification. With that being said, um, the socialization, especially with people my age, my peers, like I just never, no one ever told me. I never had that conversation. In addition to the lack of representation, so it's just like, yeah, there's the sexism and misogyny and the racism and all other good stuff. But it's also just, you know, the fact that I wasn't brought up in a space where I would be privileged enough to know, you know, or I would be privileged enough to see myself represented. So, like, you know, like uh, we have our Elon Musk and our Richard Branson's and our Tim Cooks and our Bill Gates and all these other, you know, guys. So there's not, you know, a Shaniqua Johnson that, you know, has has changed or that is 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 accessible and visible that we are currently talking about in our in our um in our media today that is really inspiring like a whole group of people to pursue, you know, careers in that space. So like I'm hoping that just by, you know, representing uh myself and in, in this community in gaming that 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 narrative will change in the next several years and we'll see, you know, more black women seeing themselves in this industry. It's a billion dollar industry. It's a billion dollar industry. It's so much money being made. So it's unfortunate that, you know, there's not more diversity. There's so much room for different stories to be told and different perspectives and different talents. So much room, more than enough room for all of us. 
So, you know, it's it's difficult, but we need to start thinking of this space as a real space, just like, you know, uh, I talk to kids all the time, and they're like, I want to be a model or actress or I want to work in Hollywood. I mean, video games are almost equivalent to that space. Like, we look at games... There are some games coming out that they get as much fanfare as a blockbuster movie. So, like, why aren't we promoting that as much as we promote and glamorize, uh, you know, being an actor or an actress in a movie? I'm glad that you brought up the concept of STEM inside it. I do remember, and I would imagine that it still happens to some degree now where that video game is going to warp your mind. You're not getting anything out of that video game. Colleague of mine at DePaul, Joanne Martin, she she actually runs our, our online. And she was talking about how the problem-solving aspect, the reflex aspect of playing video games is extremely valuable. And now there seems to be more studies that lend credence to it. So when I see... Um, see esports athletes considered athletes i go yeah because i remember i remember playing mario brothers and sweating and (laughs) and having my pupils dilate and and have my heart rate go up and all of that so how did you think how do you think that we got to the point where there was a respect for the positive aspects of of gaming Oh man, I mean so many different different things have occurred. Just, you know, I I can't pinpoint one for you, but and it, it all depends like if you're talking about esports or if you're talking about gaming in general. Uh but some of the narratives that have been uh within games are brown are groundbreaking. Um the, the the way you play, like the way you have to use your mind, some of that has been, you know, just again, the way we engage with this is is so much more immersive than the way we engage with a movie. It's so much more proactive. So uh, the impact of a game, uh, the impact that a game can have on a person is just, you know, so much more powerful, in, in my opinion. And I think that, again, with everything being online and you being able to watch people play video games and you being able to, you know, be almost with that person and see that passion and see that, you know, all the, the feelings that go along with it. Like, I think that that's something that's super compelling to us. So to see people not blink and press buttons rapidly and like just really go and use teamwork and, and do all these things. It's, it's, it's just as compelling uh, to, to many people as watching a basketball game. It, it makes all the sense in the world because if you think back to playing, um, why am I blanking on it? Uh, Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. And people standing around, whether they're waiting for their turn to play or they're just watching what character you're going to use, how you use that character. When I was in college, this happened all the time. So it it's genius to go, well, let's televise this. Let's find the best players in the world. Let's put them out there. Let's see if there's an online community that wants to watch how they effectively use this character and when I, I I wish I would have thought of it like it was right in front of us and none of us thought of it 
We all could have been rich, is what I'm trying to tell you. Well, I mean, Twitch is rich. It's a billion-dollar company. Um, and it's it's amazing. But, like, again, you know, I, I often wonder how my life would have been different if I would have, cons- like, saw myself being in this space uh, as a career, you know, 20 years ago. Like, oh, yeah, man, I could do this? Like, who knows you know what I w- you know would have done, or what many of us would have done. Um, but it's glad I'm I'm happy to see it now, and it it's it's super powerful to just like <laughs> go to a high school and talk to kids, and they're just like, oh yeah, you know, at night I just watch people play Fortnite. And I'm just like, so you don't play Fortnite? No, I just watch people play Fortnite until I go to sleep. Like I I I play Twitch to like get me sleepy enough. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. wow. Like, you know, like back in the day, I used to like maybe watch All in the Family or something. <laughs> and now people are playing, like watching Twitch and YouTube, watching other people play games. So there's a community of people inside the gaming community that don't play but consume. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, my God. You didn't know? I had no idea. Yeah. Yep. So they might play a little, but for the most part, they just enjoy watching their players play, just like we do in traditional sports. Huh? You don't? Do you play basketball and football all the time? Not where you? not where people would want to watch. No, <laughs> <laughs> it would be terrible if they watched. It would be awful. But but I I'm so fascinated by all of this. And, and like I told you, like I'm, I'm definitely on the outside. I'm old. I'm 43. Okay, so, that is not old. But, but it's, it's for old someone in gaming, who, gamer. Yes, and for someone who's been out, it's definitely old. <laughs> I'm definitely grandpa, and I'm okay with being grandpa. But, but I'm, I kind of like. There's the 12 year old that's in me that's just like, this is so cool. Like this is such a great thing that's that's out there. What what concerns if any do you have about it i mean it's the same concerns that i have about all progressive technology uh where you interact with people solely in a digital space Uh, i think that there's something very powerful about face-to-face in-person human interaction that uh, the digital space hasn't quite been able to replicate and because there's a lack of that i feel like that does have some negative impact on how a person develops socially, like how they're able to, you know, navigate social situations when inevitably they have to be around other people. Otherwise, you know, on the flip side, there's there's evidence to show that it actually does help people, you know, socialize. People who have a lot of anxiety and social anxiety, you know, can make friends and can feel more comfortable in that space first before they 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 are physically you know, more social. So it's it's interesting um, because I, I see it all across the spectrum. I see, you know, I meet people that, you know, um, are, are a little bit are, are a little bit challenged socially, and then I meet people who aren't affected all that much. But I think that there is some impact there that is still uh, being the the developments of that are still being looked at. So because like people can spend so much time online if your friends are online and your entertainment is online and you communicate online what reason do you have to like really be around a person for real seeing 
people's facial expressions and, you know, their body language and, you know, like really getting a real understanding of who they are and how they are. So um, I think that that as far as like, you know, the negative consequences of this space, that's like all I can really say. But otherwise, there are so many different types of games that develop so many different skill sets like critical thinking, creative thinking, um, you know, uh, hand-eye coordination, you know, things of that nature. And it's just astounding to me that it's taken so long for people to see, like, man, this is a very powerful space. Do you monitor your screen time, like, per week or per day? No, no. Right now, I'm working in virtual reality, augmented reality, and I'm managing the Sugar Gamers community. So... When I game, gaming for me is and will probably continue to be my state of rest. So if I'm resting, that is a good thing. If I'm just enjoying playing a game, that is a good thing. Because it's really easy to have something I'm so passionate about become not fun and just become work. And I don't want that to ever happen to me playing video games because that's why I'm here. It's why I'm so passionate about the spaces I'm working in. So I try to just make gaming my fun. So I don't, you don't, you know, for the most part, you don't monitor your fun time as an adult because like how often do you just get to have like fun that you don't feel guilty for or fun that's, you know, okay to have. So it's like, I, I don't play games nearly as much as I would love to though. So... No need to monitor my time. What made you start up Sugar Gamers? Because it hadn't existed yet. Like, I didn't want to start Sugar Gamers. Um, It was the recession. Real estate sucked. And everything that I had worked toward just started to disintegrate. So that whole idea, like, you go to school, you work real hard, and then you get a good job, and you work real hard, and you just keep on getting raises, and you just keep on moving up in the world. That was a lie. So, <laughs> like, that was such a lie. And, like, everything I had worked for sort of disintegrated. And uh, I was always still a gamer. And um, I had had this opportunity. It didn't work out. And I, it made me motivated to, like, try to find a space for myself in the gaming world. So I was like, I'm going to come to Chicago and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to Chicago because I, had, like, went to California for this opportunity. And um, I'm like, I'm come back to Chicago and find my own group of badass women who are going to play games and they're going to, like, be, you know, diverse and they'll be Midwest and then they'll, you know, we'll represent some people of color there and it'll be amazing, it'll be women. And I just thought it was going to be so cool. Um, and, it, and so I looked for it. I did my research to see if there's any community like that that existed that I could join. And at the time, there wasn't. Not anything that was local to Chicago or Midwest. Not There was no meetups. I could come and meet other women and play games. There was none of that. Um, so then I started Sugar Gamers to like sort of have some friends to play with. And one of the things that happened when I put this ad online to find other women is that I get all of these responses like, oh, man, the community sounds really cool, but I'm not that great of a gamer. Oh, man, I really like what you're talking about, but I only like playing Mario Kart. I don't like playing Call of Duty. Oh, I really like this, but I like watching I like watching anime. Do any of you guys watch anime too? Like, oh, man, I just want to come to the events that you have. 
So the the ad got a lot of responses, but not from competitive gamers. And I was like, hmm. So it was an indication that there was a space that needed to be created for people who game casually and wanted to connect with other people that had similar interests. And so then that's how Sugar Gamers was born. <laughs> and um, again, it's not like I was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to start this. Like, that's not how I, I just wanted some friends to game with. So and there was not a space for that that existed like that I saw. And I trust me again, like the the time, the money and the resources that has been put into sugar gamers. I would much rather someone else's time, money and resources went into that. But I was so passionate about the idea that I just put my own. And to this day, it's something I, I remain super proud of and that I, I constantly meet other individuals and I'm just fulfilled and inspired by, you know, this whole community that we have. Okay, so reboot me. As someone who has been out of this, how would you suggest that I get back into it? Huh. Okay. Um, do you have any friends? I do. <laughs> I got a couple. Well, I got I, friends who are who are serious gamers too. Well, I mean, one of the things that uh But I, I'm scared, Keisha, I'm scared. You don't look scared to me. I'm scared to jump I mean, cause you know, I'm me getting my ass kicked in games when I was younger, like that was just part of it. But now, like, it would be kind of embarrassing. And, like, and I was embarrassed when I played Fortnite that time. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Lawrence, I thought you watched my TED Talk. I did. And, well. I, and, I, and the part where you talked about how failing is like life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, was very valuable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in order to get past that little hump of, like, feeling some kind of way about not being good, you got to not be good first so you can be good. So I would suggest... Because, like, all right, you know, you're a busy man. You got stuff that you got to do. But you probably have some friends, and you come over, and you shoot the, you know, the shit. You, you watch. But, and do you watch sports? I do. All right. You watch sports just like. It's my job, actually. Oh, yeah. It is your job. <laughs> I play games. I watch eSports sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's so funny that I, I got the opportunity, real quick aside, I got the opportunity to work for ESPN. And I'm just like, Wow. That's pretty amazing. Never in a million years would I think that I would work for ES. I don't know anything about sports at all. Games, yes. Sports, woo. And I'm just like, ESPN, notch off my belt. <laughs> so, what was that experience like? It was amazing. to go. Uh, uh, the experience was covering Evo. And what I did was— What's Evo? Evo— I told you to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. Sorry. Evo is one of the largest fighting game uh, tournaments in the nation. And it takes place in Vegas every summer. And over the last, I would say, eight years, it's gotten bigger and bigger. It has started out as like like a little, you know, sort of room in a hotel somewhere in Vegas that was really funky and gross. It smelled like open open gym shoe sock that was slightly moist, like like that nice moist gym shoe sock. And it was like a whole bunch of dudes just calling each other all kinds of just really terrible names that were homophobic and racist and misogynistic. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if I want to be here, even though I do like Street Fighter and Soul Calibur and Tekken and Mortal Kombat. So I... Um, 
But recently, now that all this money has been put into the space and you have to be a marketable individual, you have to carry yourself like someone who's going to be in front of the camera. You can't be saying all that stuff. You got to smell kind of good. You got to shower, maybe, you know. It's important. <laughs> yeah, you know, get the sleep boogers out your eye. Um, now it's it's amazing to see like a whole, you know, it goes from one like little room in a hotel to a whole like, stadium stage set up with all of the lights just filled up with all of these people that are just watching two people in an arena play smash brothers or tekken and you you're looking at the crowd just like if it was basketball just like if it was basketball you're looking at people in a crowd just you know cheer for their favorite person and one of the things that i really enjoy about the fighting game community is because that's where the most diversity is because it's so much more accessible than the other types of gaming that exist because all you need is your console and all you need is your game and you got a controller you're good like pc gaming is the 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 barrier to entry is just so high and it appears to be so intimidating but with fighting games anybody could like kind of get into them um and you can button mash your way to the top like i do <laughs> so 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 would that be your suggestion for me that i like like maybe that's where like i go back to street fighter yes, and Mortal absolutely. Kombat and Tekken. Ha- have your your friends come over and instead of watching football you know, um, when football season or basketball season is low, have people come over with same premise, but play fighting games or play racing games. I mean, it's the same thing except for you're more engaged or play sports games. Um, FIFA. Yeah, all of that. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more than likely your friends are just equally as terrible at games as you are. And, like, you guys just, like, make a fun night out of it. And then after... You know, your friends get comfortable. You go out and you play in public or you you, you, you play for yourself. But having friends helps, you know, like, my you know, play, having games to play with my brothers was awesome. Um, it was one of my favorite things to do. And now I make my friends play. I'm just like, yeah, you, you're going to play Little Big Planet with me or you're going to play. And Little Big Planet is, is not really a competitive game. It's a, a collaborative game, uh, which is really fun. Uh, but, yeah, there's so many different types of games. There's so many ways that you can connect with people, both online and offline still, that I think that it's just it's just too many options out there for you to, like, just kind of be like, well, I'm not a good gamer. So <laughs> that's what Sugar Gamers is all about. Like, even if you're not a good gamer, games are still freaking fun as I don't know what. So, like, they're so fun. And uh, they connect with uh, people in so many different ways that you should just get back into it. You are one of the most fascinating people I've ever interviewed. I doubt that. I'm I'm being straight up with you. I've spent 20 years in a business where I interview people, and you're you're high on the list of people that I've interviewed. All right, cabbage patch, cabbage patch. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> For people that that want to find you or, and play or become a part of Sugar Gamers, how can they do it? Uh, they can go to sugargamers.com and, you know, kind of follow all of our adventures. Actually, just type in Sugar Gamers in when, when, whatever thing that you're doing, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or even Twitch will come up. 
go to our website, sugargamers.com. We'll come up, and it's spelled correctly, Sugar Gamers, as no Z or, like, anything like that. You know, this one dude came up to me, and he was like, oh, man, so what's your website? Is it, like, Sugar Gamers? Is it, like, brown sugar? Because, like, you got black girl. I'm like, if you don't get out my face right now, like, I'm going to need you to just... You know, like how you just don't even have nothing that you could say immediately. You just stare blankly at the person. Did the Inglewood come out? I have to. I have to keep my Inglewood in. So it was just a stare. It was just a stare. Just a slow stare. A slow blinking stare. Maybe a little eye twitch. But like, yes, it's spelled correctly. Sugar gamers. Um, and uh, yeah, you can follow us on anything. If you're looking for just me. Um, you can just go to Go Keisha, and that Keisha, I know Keisha is spelled like a gajillion different ways. It's not Kesha, it's not La Keisha. People love putting extra things in front of my name. But hey, my name is Keisha, and they're like, hey, La Keisha? I'm like, I don't remember saying that, that extra thing. Sure, Keisha? Like, mm-mm. Nope, just Keisha. K-E-I-S-H-A. So you can go to my website at gokeisha.com, or just take the S off Sugar Gamers, and then I am Sugar Gamer. That's it. You can find me. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> you are most welcome. Are you going to play games now? Yes. What you going to play? Well, I have a background in Mortal Kombat. I'm pretty good at, or at least I was pretty good at that. Did you know Mortal Kombat 11 is coming out? No. I don't know which Mortal Kombat I'm on. I think the last Mortal Kombat that I bought was Mortal Kombat versus DC because I'm a big comic book guy. So the idea of being able to play with Green Lantern, who's not in a lot of games, was very exciting to me. And then my wife kicked my ass because she was Wonder Woman and she knew exactly what she was doing. And she like turned upside down and started kicking me repeatedly. And I was like, oh, that's that's probably not good for me. I bet she's amazing at button mashing, too. Yeah, she is. I, I am like a killer when it comes to fighting games. I will button mash my way to a win. So <laughs> sometimes you got to do that, right? So, um, but yeah, Mortal Kombat 11 is out. Get okay, you, get you a new system. All right, so what new system do I need? PS4, Xbox One. Okay, I can, I can do that. They're they're cheaper now too. I can do that. I can. So, so I can. So I should just get out of my retro phase. I believe so. Th- those retro games are going to be there for the rest of your life. <laughs> I do love them though. <laughs> they're they're not going anywhere. They'll be there calling your name like. Don't forget about us. But you can afford to, like, play some new games. All right. I, I'm going to put it on the list. You have inspired me. Hoot, hoot. That's what I live for, inspiring people to play, to play games. <laughs> <laughs> can we do this again at some point? Please. Like, once I kind of venture out into this and learn more about it, I want to talk with you and, and anyone who you think is interesting. All right. And, like, yeah, next time we talk, we should talk about virtual reality. Okay. Doom, doom, The next frontier of gaming. It might be like Ready Player One, but it might not be. Have you seen Ready Player One? I have read and seen. It's one of my favorite books. What did you think? I did not like the movie. Here's, here's what I didn't like. Uh-oh. Okay. If I had not read Ready Player One, I would have enjoyed the movie. But because I read Ready Player One and because it's it, it held such a special place for me, it was going to be hard for the movie to match that. And it didn't come close. They changed a lot of things from the book to the movie, which, again, if I would have walked in, like, as someone who loves pop culture, video games, 
uh, dystopian future. Like, I love all that stuff. I'd have been like, oh, this is kind of a fun, cool movie. But it strayed too far away hmm. from from the canon for me to not, for me to suspend disbelief enough. Like, I was just sitting there going, oh, man, that's rough. What happened right there? I See, I felt that way when I was reading the book. Like, the book was okay for me, probably because I'm not, like, a super 80s person. So those 80s references were rough. And then in the book, not in the movie, they, like, kind of tried to fix it up in the movie, but in the book, the female protagonist was, like, it got a little like she she started off strong like oh yeah badass you know Artemis, Artemis yeah like but then like toward the end of the book her whole existence was, became to be his yes, girlfriend right like and I'm just like okay let me vomit um <laughs> so <laughs> and then the one black chick in there was just like okay um, so the movie at least made the characters a little bit better but I wasn't. Like the hugest fan of the book, but what I was a huge fan of was the portrayal of virtual reality. I thought that that was a, that was really imaginative and really you know sort of a, a thoughtful take on what virtual reality would look like in our future. And we're we're kind of getting close. to We're that. moving towards it I'm for hope, sure. I'm hoping not the dystopic part, but <laughs> oh no, I mean I I think that that with any technology, the risk of people taking it and manipulating it is always out there. And I I do think that that's a part of the movie that I thought they were able to amplify. It was a little bit more cartoonish than the book. The book was more serious in that regard, but I thought that the way that they approached it was terrifying. And I think it should have been terrifying because of, of what can sometimes happen when technology falls into the hands of the wrong people. I mean, we're we're living in that world now. Did you see my other TED talk about solar punk? I saw so I that's why I was texting you. I was like, I'm trying to finish that. Were you talking about cyberpunk and solar punk? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I was like over my head. Oh no. So cyberpunk and solar punk. Break it down for me. Oh, we doing this? All right. Do it. So cyberpunk, solar punk, same thing, speculative fiction. Um we're we're talking about the future. And how technology advances in technology and science and, um, you know, automation and robotics and all that other good stuff, how that is going to affect our society. So in cyberpunk uh, narratives, um, you have all this cool technology, but you have outrageous inequalities, uh, the the. The, the rich live on the very top of these buildings. And, like, I've ever noticed that every cyberpunk movie you watch is, like, dank. Like, where the, the, the riffraff is, is like, wet for some reason. Yes. And dank and, like, purple and blue neon lights are everywhere because that's the only thing really pretty to see. But it doesn't look like the most pleasant place to be. Like, the robots and, and the technology is cool, but the actual state of living is pretty significant in how terrible it is. So we can imagine and we continue imagine, imagining and creating narratives about this dystopian future. But solar punk is taking that same premise and like just thinking that like what if humanity with all of our intellect and brilliance can instead of like 
freaking using all this technology to destroy the earth, we actually figure out a way to live in harmony with the earth and have more egalitarian societies. Can't we take that same brilliance and do something different? Um, the punk comes in and that the radical changes would have to occur before uh, we could, you know, hope to have a solar punk future. So, like, we would have to start doing things that are just radically different from what we're doing now, but we could do it. The technology already exists. Uh, things like vertical farming. So we can take a building and with the technology that we have, just every floor is we're growing food in a city. So like importing and exporting would completely decrease. Like that carbon footprint would decrease. You can feed a whole city from like a skyscraper farm. Um, Currently in Milan, I believe, they have a high rise that is uh, surrounded, like each floor is surrounded and and has foliage and plants incorporated in in the majority of the building because Milan, I didn't know this before, is like highly polluted. So they were thinking about solutions to cut down on how pollute how polluted it is by planting more 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 greenery in places where people live. Now, none of this has been perfected, but at least it's being tried out and it has a lot of positive potential. So, like, what if we did that worldwide or we started thinking about using our technology to actually not destroy ourselves? So that's what solar punk is versus cyberpunk. And there's so much room for people to create and imagine stories that might inspire the next person to invent something that might save humanity. So... That's what I'm, like, super into right now because I love dystopic futures myself. I've loved cyberpunk forever, and it just never even occurred to me to think of a future that would be any different. I'm just like, okay, the robots are going to take over. It's going to be an apocalypse. And during the cataclysm, i got to figure out which friends of mine are going to survive. So, you know, I just, like, kind of resigned myself to that. And, you know, I've played so many games and watched so many movies that are dystopic, and I just love it. But I would I would be interested to see someone create something new, like from new perspective. It's not new perspective, but it's a perspective that's not widely seen or celebrated or promoted. So there's a lot of room in it. So I'm kind of exploring that right now. This is why I think you're so dope, because for me— there's always the opportunity, and I, I love like watching old Twilight Zone episodes partially because of this, where we all could make that choice of everything being cool and all of us enjoying it, but there's always that one person, and we all know that one person <laughs> in our life that that whether it be greed or fame or just because they're a jerk. <laughs> Mess it up for everyone else, and then we end up on the the slide towards the dystopian future. Yep, sure. That's that's how it goes. I, it, it's it's. I I wish that it was more possible that that we could have that, but there's always someone that screws it up. I mean, and we let them too. You're right. Like it's not so much that it's just a, this one person that screws it up, but that that's where the punk comes in because it's really hard to do things that are against what we're 
used to. So we all get into this routine. The world works like this. Like, I'm about to buy Starbucks and throw that plastic cup away that might not biodegrade because I don't know. Isn't that terrible? You know, like, we should, like, think about everything that we're consuming and all the things that we're producing, but we don't. And um, it's just easy to just let other people make decisions for us, not realizing that we're allowing that to happen. So, you know, to be radical right now is really difficult and it's really scary. And I think that could create some really provocative stories, you know? Like, it creates provocative stories now when, like, people are radical. So um, I think that, you know, like, there's there's just, just a lot there. It's a lot there, and we can start, you know, sort of imagining how we would solve the problem of, like, that one individual or that one group of people that mess it up for all of us, you know? I'm glad that you're on the front line. I truly appreciate you giving me this time and us having an opportunity <laughs> to sit down and talk. I enjoy this, too. And next time I talk to you, I'm hoping that you've played Mortal Kombat 11. Okay. It's it's a deal. It, All right. It's an absolute deal. <laughs> <laughs> you should be following Keisha Howard, man. She's dope. You can follow her on Twitter at SugarGamer. SugarGamer. Exactly the way that it sounds like she was saying in the sit down. She's got a great Instagram, too. She's dope. You can also check out her website, gokeisha.com. That was so much fun. I learned a lot. I'm an 8-bit dude in a digital world, and I'm, I'm, I'm working my way back towards becoming a, a uh, semi-serious gamer. We'll see if I upgrade my system like Keisha suggested. Still got that PS3. She straight up laughed at me. Time for a couple of emails. By the way, we're still doing the podcast. Like, people were like, is House of L dead? No, we're going to keep doing it. So you can still send emails. House of L podcast at gmail.com is the way you can do it. This is from Jason. Jason says, congratulations on afternoons in your new national podcast. Of your three shows, I think Loho Daily has been my favorite. I still listen to your afternoon show in House of L, but I really enjoy how diverse Loho has been. I especially enjoy the Lisa Ann episode. I know Loho is a national podcast, but I think there's enough national interest in the Cubs and Bears that you could get, you could devote one show a week during their seasons. I think it should think it would be fun to have either Matt Spiegel or Barry Rosner or for Cubs talk and Olin Krutz and Mark Grody on for Bears talk. Well, I mean, those people got to get paid. And I have Barry Rosner on Loho Daily talking golf. I I don't know the Bears thing might actually happen. Like, I think that the Loho Daily Bears pod might take the place of House of L, but I haven't decided, and I don't have to decide yet. But I appreciate the uh, the very nice email, and thank you very much for, for everything that you had to say. Who else we got here? We've got Donna. Hey, Lawrence, I hesitated writing you again because I don't want to seem like a stalker, but you need to hear how much I'm enjoying your podcast. I started out just listening to people I've heard of, but stumbled into some of the people I didn't need, didn't know I needed to know, and I found every one of the podcasts is something that touches me. Just finished the Jordan Cornette episode and could feel the emotion when he talked about his brother. 
You have a knack for getting people to talk from their heart, and it's a great listen. My car rides to and from work are House of L listening until I catch up on all of them. I spend my day talking to and taking care of people, so it's nice decompression. Thanks for the wonderful interviews and keep up the great work. Oh, and congrats on the new time slot. Donna, you're not stalking. I'm glad that you are enjoying the podcast. That's what it's for, and you're right. I think that you've got the right strategy on listening to the podcast, that you people should go back. And listen to other episodes because those there's so many people that the folks are requests that we've already had on, and the interviews themselves are really really terrific. But I I do thank you sincerely uh, for for your support and you your continued listening, and I hope that Keisha was one of those people that you didn't think you needed to know, and now you know you needed to know her. So that'll wrap things up. I believe if our uh, preliminary conversations are right, that Layla Rahimi will be the next guest on House of L. We have been talking about it. We did some celebrity bartending together, and I think that she's going to be the next guest in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, catch up on old episodes of House of L and check out Loho Daily. It's on radio.com. It's on Apple. You can subscribe to it the same way that you've been subscribing to this. And it's more sports-oriented, and it's every day. And we're trying to get them done fast. We're trying to do, like, 20-minute pods to kind of just get in and get out with good stuff. All right? Thanks for the support on all of the platforms. I'll see you in a couple weeks right here. Peace!